0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to episode eight the Ocho uh, the Ocho ooh, of the DN Sports podcast when's that coming back to ESPN I don't know alright well regardless we got a fun show lined up today I'm um, gonna run through Ball State a little preview with Ball State football against Central Michigan recapping some Mid-American Conference football this week finally getting to do Willie Watch uh, we have a fun interview with David Ridpath an associate professor in sports management at Ohio University and many more things to discuss
1: and as as always colin grills here with uh, robbie general i got to say my name first this time because he forgot oh yeah i forgot to introduce this but my name first for once all right let's Probably get the only time that's gonna happen let's get it rolling <laughs>
0: Alright, so this was the first weekend this year. We didn't get any Ball State football,
1: so let's do a little preview action. Colin, you want to get it started? Uh, Yeah, you know, Ball State on that bye week just now, and... Uh Probably really needed that bye week with mm-hmm. all the injuries they've got going. Uh, you know, not quite sure. I haven't made it out to practice yet this week, uh, so I'm not sure uh, how they're all looking. But really, they've they've uh, you know they've been been missing James Gilbert been at uh, running back, been missing Riley Neal at quarterback. Uh, you know, been missing a couple of receivers. You know, they've still got uh, you know a couple senior guys. You know, they like they've been missing uh, Jordan hogue has been out a few times. Devin Absolutely, Reese, yeah. a few guys like. Really, Vinnie came back. Uh, Vinny Palazzetti, that is offensive lineman, came back against Akron. But there's so many guys out that it's almost like a whole different team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's been a struggle for the past few weeks, and especially missing um, kind of key pieces of their offense in James Gilbert and Riley Neal. I know coming into the year, those were the two guys that there was going to be that one-two punch on offense, and that's something they haven't had the past few weeks. So. What do you think their chances are uh, against Central Michigan this week? It's homecoming, so what are you feeling?
1: You know, it, it's a little hard to say because uh, one one of the big things with injuries is missing Riley Neal at quarterback. There, Jack Miles in three starts has thrown six interceptions, hasn't thrown a touchdown. Um, they're supposed to have an update on Riley Neal. Uh, he's, he had an MRI late last or two weeks ago. Excuse me, practice was closed last week, uh, so you know keep an eye out for uh, BallStateDaily.com. There, I'll have some updates when I get out to practice. Nice plug. But yeah, I know, right? Uh, but uh, you know, it's it's an interesting matchup with Central michigan uh you know central michigan uh, hasn't uh, been as hot as they have been you know three and four right now one and two in the mac uh good news for ball state's offense is that even with jack miles and the running game still been going you know the offense averages 147 on the ground on the ground uh and uh, central michigan's been giving up Two hundred twelve yards a game, just rushing. So you know, if James Gilbert comes back and uh, gets mixed in, you know, he could have a big game. Same thing, uh, even if he's out, Caleb Huntley. Yeah, he's been proving that he yeah. can be a dominant running back for the Cardinals. Yeah, and then two weeks ago out at Akron, he actually got uh, twenty five carries and uh, you know, up over a hundred, a hundred. Uh, I don't have it in front I think of it, it was one twenty seven. something That's like that. It was up over one twenty. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, they gave him given those extra carries. He really seemed to get it going more because especially because his running style he's a big bruiser breaks through tackles and if you have him running the whole time get the defense tired at the end of the game that's when he starts breaking out those like consistent 70 yard carries you know and uh makes malik downer speed still he can bust out a few so uh, the, the running game should be able to get going for ball state uh, the question though is that passing game and what happens there but like i said uh, we'll have some more updates on that uh, on the on BallStateDaily.com after I get a chance to get out to practice this week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Ball State right now, 2-4, and four, obviously not the place they wanted to be at this point in the season, but again, the injuries, there's sometimes there's just nothing you can do about that. Um, moving into this homecoming game, though, it's interesting, talking a little attendance numbers here, I wrote a story a few weeks back talking about how they had a slight uptick, and there's been a lot more promotion. Talked to Sean Sullivan over in the athletics department, how they've been promoting the games more, and Those numbers have really shown, I mean, not on a national level, but definitely for Ball State. Uh, Against UAB, there was over uh, 11,500 people at the game, over uh, 14,000 people at the game against Tennessee Tech. So two really high attendance numbers, and homecoming is consistently, consistently one of the highest attended games of the year so it'll be interesting to see if they can further excel that attendance record those two numbers i just mentioned were two of the top three i think in the past three years or so or since i've been in school here at ball state so i'd be really interesting to see how many people come out Um, but to talk more football wise what do you think their bowl chances are sitting here at two and four in a tough west division of the mid-american conference
1: uh, well, real quick before I touch on that, though, I just want to throw this out here, too. Homecoming is always an entertaining game, too, just because, uh, you know, a lot of Ball State connections out in the community, a lot of local uh, high school coaches have ties to Ball State. Uh, Mike New, former Ball State quarterback, you know, the head coach of the football team, offense coordinator Joey Lynch, former uh, quarterback for Ball State, too. Keith McKenzie, defensive line coach. Yeah. Uh, Ball State's all-time sack leader. So, uh, you know, and, and a few other guys too have connections. It's just you know a quick list off the top of my head, but uh, you know, usually a good turnout for that. If just if only for the alumni who come. Uh, but I uh, know anyway, moving on to moving on to the bowl. Um, I, I got to say I don't think they have a very good. It, I don't think the chances are very good. You know, uh, before the season started, you know when you and I were talking talking preseason we really both of us I think really felt like the Akron game was going to be one of the big make or break ones that along with Western Kentucky because you know finishing uh, you know tough loss at Western Kentucky Mm -hmm. you know uh, real close game final score was uh, 33-21 but it was a lot closer than that until a late pick six Uh, but uh, yeah it's going to be tough going forward you know they've still got to play Toledo Still got to play Northern Illinois, and those are two really tough games. And then uh, honestly, you know, Eastern Michigan's a tough game too. I know Eastern Michigan on uh, Buffalo too. You know yeah. Buffalo took Western Michigan to seven overtimes two weeks ago. They lost by, uh, you know, we'll get this in a minute, but they lost by one to Northern Illinois. And yeah. uh, you know, so Buffalo's a real tough team too. And uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be tough because you gotta they've got to win at least four of their last six. Yeah. Which is
0: all it's a tough task, regardless, yeah. um, especially with how hard the conference is right now. And that'll segue nicely into a little Mac recap here, talking about the rest of the conference. Um, first game we're going to talk about here Eastern Michigan and Army.
1: You want to talk about that one a little bit? Yeah, this one, uh, you know, Eastern Michigan, a tough loss on the road 28 27, one point loss. Uh, But what makes it a little bit tougher, actually, is that... Army didn't complete a pass. Yeah. You know, Army's out there running the triple option. Their quarterbacks combined for, uh, well, I I say quarterbacks. I'm not sure if they're all quarterbacks. They ran a trick play or something. But, you know, three players combined to 0 for 5 passing. Uh, But, you know, who who needs passing when you run for 413 yards?
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's incredible that. And earlier this season, I think that was one of our segments. I kind of talked about Army and how they complete no passes. And now it's just like a regular story, which is really weird. Sorry, had an alarm go off there.
1: Well played. Uh, We'll we'll leave that in.
0: We'll we'll, we'll cut that in post. But anyway, moving on. I mean, Army is just one of those interesting teams, and it's a total Army move, I think, to not pass the ball at all. But uh, they've been dangerous too. They're
1: five and two this year, so Army's been playing well. Yeah, they got to leave all the passing to the Air Force. Something, something about uh, you know which one of them does what. But uh, and actually, Air Force runs triple option too, so that's a dumb joke. But uh, nice yeah, try. no, nice uh, Eastern Michigan though, uh, you know, offense. You know, it's always it's, it's always tough defending a triple option team because it's so different from a lot of other things that you face. You know, uh, even when Ball Ball State faced UAB, not that UAB ran full triple option, but they had a lot of option, spread option concepts, and uh, you know, it's it's just it's one of those things where it's so unique you almost have to take like it's almost a completely different preparation schedule when you play play for a, against a triple option team and uh, Eastern Michigan's offense though, did pretty solid you know the quarterback uh, Brogan Roback uh, you know two, 229 yards 4 touchdowns uh, their running back Ian Erickson 20 carries 170 yards wide receiver excuse me wide receiver Sergio Bailey 8 catches 99 yards 2 touchdowns and also I have to throw a shout out because he went to the same high school I did Olympian High School out in San Diego uh but uh, yeah, so Eastern's gonna be a tough team, you know, like it's it's a loss to Army and Army, but Army's 5 and 2. You know, it's uh, one of those teams where when you see their record, I think a lot of people are a little surprised by it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And moving on into different games in the Mid American, got Kent State down 14 3 at half against Miami, but ended up coming back to win 17 14 for their second win of the year. Uh, both Kent State and Miami are now two and five, one and two in the conference. So nice, close little Matt comeback game there. And it was the two turnovers for Miami that really ended up uh, biting them.
1: Yeah, and no, honestly, this is one of those games. Uh, I didn't, I didn't watch it, but uh, it, it's. I'm not gonna say you know as, as uh, entertaining as I sure would have been to see the comeback. You know, Miami's quarterback, uh, twelve of twenty nine passing two interceptions and uh, you know Kent State's quarterbacks 10 of 18 passing so uh, you know it's a little bit of a rough uh, game for, the, for both teams passing offenses but uh, you know props to Kent State for making the second half comeback.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then that moves on to two teams we were talking about a little earlier in Northern Illinois, Buffalo, two very evenly matched teams, and that proved it in this game, especially 14-13 at half. Northern Illinois was up one, and that ended up being the score for the remainder of the game. So very rarely do you see that now, a uh, scoreless second half. I mean, you see it from one team maybe who couldn't piece something together, but seeing both teams
1: not score in the second half is kind of rare. In college football in general, yeah, and I'll tell you what though, like Buffalo is really coming out looking like a heavy passing team too. So look out for that. Their quarterback, you know, well, two quarterbacks actually combined uh, 21 of 34 passing, 344 yards to the air in that seven OT game. They were up over 500. Uh, but that might uh, have something to do with the seven overtimes. Well, that's true, but but uh, you know, against NIU, you know, 344 yards Absolutely, passing, yeah. only 39 yards on the ground. So uh, you know, real passing look. They they did have 27 carries Still, although that looks like that's including a few sacks, but uh, you know they'll try. They'll still try to run the ball to keep the balance, but uh, you know their passing game looks like that's going to be the real threat when they come up later in the year. And then uh, you know NIU pretty balanced look. Uh, well, I should say run heavy. You know, fifty six carries versus thirty one pass attempts, but uh, two twenty four yards in the air, two seventeen on the ground. Uh, so that'll be. Uh, Thing to look out for down the road too
0: yeah absolutely in that game too is interesting niu had 28 first downs compared to buffalo 16 i think that just kind of explains right there that's a stat that looks at that passing uh, offense that they have and the last one i want to talk about was akron and western michigan because it was actually played on sunday not saturday so i wonder when the last time that happened in the mac was oh geez or in
1: college football honestly because uh, well, it happens And in co- in college football In general Happens every now and then like, Earlier in the season when, when there were All those hurricanes And stuff yeah, there, were a few ga- there were a few games That got moved around A day or two Or a week or two uh, And you know So so as far as College football goes That's pretty common But uh, for that to happen You know In the max A little, a little rare for sure Because uh, you know We don't get hurricanes up here
0: yeah it was just a torrential downpour in kalamazoo michigan if you haven't seen it yet go to the max twitter account that's where i saw the picture of just and it was crazy to see because i was there two weeks before that and I just imagined being down there, it was completely underwater. Yeah. Uh, a lot of sarcastic remarks on Twitter, people talking about, oh, I remember we used to play football in the rain, but
1: this is more than rain. It was like playing in a mini yeah. pool. Yeah, so, and also uh, p- part of the thing too, uh, Waldo Stadium up there is kind of down at the bottom of that big hill too, so yeah. that's where the water all settles. Yeah, it's so kind of a uh, rough spot for it, but yeah. interesting game. Akron ended up
0: winning 14-13. They were leading 14 to 3 going into the fourth quarter and 10 Western Michigan points late in the game were not enough to put them over top and now both teams are 4 and 3 on the season. Akron undefeated in the MAC right now and they've kind of silently been one of those teams that's been creeping up. I think they had a harder Schedule early in the season, but they've been creeping up, and they can be a real wrecking
1: force. I think they're one of three undefeated teams in the MAC right now. Yeah, and you know their early season schedule. You know, season opening loss at Penn State, but Penn State's number two in the country right now. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, you know loss uh, against Iowa State, but again Iowa State came out and beat Oklahoma. So like, and then same thing, loss at Troy. Troy beat LSU. So like that, they played a pretty, a really, a much tougher non-conference schedule than you would have thought looking at it pre season you know you just reminded me of what? you know how people always do the end of the year like
0: ball state beat blank who beat blank who beat blank who beat Alabama ball yeah. state should be national champion. you know that yeah. sorry that just reminded me of that but yeah well actually on.
1: you know okay so that reminds so when we get to that point we're gonna have because you said that now we're gonna have to go back and look we're, at that for ball state yeah we're definitely gonna have to do it well so. I mean unless the national champion's undefeated but where's the fun in that we could find a way they could have made the playoff yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> moving right along, we're gonna get into Willie Watch. Willie Watch. I'm so happy just because of the, I like the name of it. But Willie, uh, you know, Willie, Willie, Willie! Former Ball State football player Willie Sneed finally got his uh, first action. He was suspended the first three games of the season, sat out uh, another one with an injury, and then the New Orleans Saints were on a bye last week. So uh, first game played against the Detroit Lions. You know, a team I grew up rooting for. I've, I've mentioned that before, but. Uh, uh, not a h- huge game from, well, actually, you know, not a whole lot from him really at all. One catch, 11 yards. But uh, honestly, that game overall was so ridiculous that, uh, yeah. you know, it, w- it was just so ridiculous. It was Detroit was down 45 at one point, and then they came back and it uh, brought it back within one score, 45-38. Uh, three defensive touchdowns for New Orleans, a defensive touchdown for Detroit, plus a punt return touchdown by, uh, uh, you know, just... T- it's one of those games where, uh, you know, I was watching anyway, but uh, if the Saints are going to be in games like these, Ball state fans should watch at least a check-in on, on uh, Willie Sneed, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just an exciting game. I mean,
0: maybe not the cleanest game, and there's a lot of games like that. I mean, I was watching the Bears game, and they there wasn't a clean game, and that's just kind of... Those games, people will talk and say that it's a downgrade and it's not what they want to see. But honestly, those are some of the funnest games to watch because,
1: I mean, you never know what to expect, especially with defensive touchdowns. So, yeah. yeah. And and another surprise in this game, too, which, and, you know, if anyone has Willie Sneed on their fantasy, fo- fantasy football team, this should make you feel a little bit better. Uh, but uh, Drew Brees only passed for 186 yards, yeah. too. So, uh, you know, Willie Sneed might have not have put up a huge number, but it's not because someone's jumped him on the depth charter or anything like that although Ted Ginn Jr. did have a solid game uh, four catches 66 yards with the touchdown there but uh you know going forward he, sh- he should be fine once once they get going
0: yeah absolutely and, and Willie Sneed was one of those guys he hasn't broke a thousand yet but I think he was close to 900 one year and close to a thousand his rookie year so really good stats but that's gonna move us into our next segment are you kidding me are you kidding me right now <laughs> All right, let's get
1: into it. So, Colin, I think you had first dibs on this one. Oh yeah. Well, I saw this. Uh, I actually think I saw after this, right after we recorded last week, or like the day after. But uh, Michael Jordan did an interview with cigar aficionado, and I, I and that hasn't hit newsstands yet. But I saw this uh, in Sports Illustrated actually. But uh, he he apparently told them he smokes six cigars a day. Like, six a day. What a baller. Well, what a baller, but that's, it's, you know, it takes a long time to smoke a cigar, you know, like, it's not, like, you, you, that's pretty much, you know, you finish one, light another one, put it in. And...
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of, t- does he has taste buds anymore? Because I know whenever I smoke a cigar, it's like... <laughs> Food doesn't taste quite the same, and that, that flavor yeah. kind of sticks in your mouth. I feel like yeah. he just has permanent,
1: like, cigar mouth. Yeah, I know. You do it after you eat. Yeah. You do it after you eat. But then. When does he eat? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and, and what does he eat? You know, like, does he just, like, stick some meat in his mouth and let it smoke in there or something? Is that why he's smoking so many cigars? <laughs> like, guess, he's making uh, barbecue in his uh, mouth? Ah, that's clever. I like I, that. I don't think that's very clever. I uh, think that's, that's actually kind of disgusting. Try that, hard. About it. But it was, uh, it was good. Yeah, but no, he smokes six a day, and. Uh, uh, yeah I don't know what, like it's one of those things where it's kind of like whoa I kind of want to do that one day but then I'm also kind of like wait that seems like a very unhealthy thing yeah I wonder how many times a day he just coughs and, yeah I mean, well and, and the other thing too is like is because that's the thing too is with, with the kind of money that he's made in his NBA career and, and endorsements on top of that and plus Space Jam money I don't know how much money Space Jam probably, was I just wanted to throw out a Space yeah. Jam reference but gotta love Space Jam oh uh, always but uh, you know you know, he's, he's not out there smoking black and Miles. you know he's he's they at least have to be halfway decent right so like I mean I'm sure with how much money he's made just
0: off of Jordan's alone
1: um, I'm pretty sure he's got
0: enough money to smoke nice cigars all the time
1: well, yeah, but, you know, every but then when you read stuff about him, like, like if you ever read, I've read, uh, like, Charles Barkley's uh, biography, I don't know if it's biography or autobiography, but, you know, he says basically, and you, I've heard this multiple places that I've read about Michael Jordan, is that supposedly he's a pretty cheap guy. Really? Yeah, and so, uh, you know. I like, wish, you know, I respect that, honestly. Well, save I, your you money. Really well I mean, I guess, you know, there's really, like, I, I guess if you save your money everywhere else, why not spend them on cigars? Yeah, but, true, and he golfs all the time, so. Yeah, and know. he golfs all the time. And honestly, you know what it is, i probably, you know what It's probably like every couple holes, he's like, oh, this this one's done, and then he just lights another one. Yeah, he
0: just takes a couple puffs out of it. But this reminded me of a story I heard a while back, and it was about this 90-plus-year-old woman, and it was a story actually my mom shared with me. And she said she told a local newspaper that she smoked a cigar and drank a glass of whiskey every day. And that's how she stays healthy. And I was like, I don't know if that's the way, but, you know,
1: respect to well, people Well, you know like what? If, if you've made it, like, 90 years, you can do whatever you want.
0: Exactly. You're, you're already—you've you're, won. Yeah. So, moving on, though, to you know, why uh, are you kidding me? And there's a little bit of Michael Jordan tie Not really Michael Jordan tie-in, but— No, uh, yeah, as, as close as you can get. But, you know, he's an alum of the school. Yeah, alum of—we're going to be talking a little—North Carolina kind of hinted at it earlier. And their ruling that came out on Friday— Two days after we filmed our podcast last week that they received no sanctions from the NCAA. And this is a really interesting case just because North Carolina has been known to do these paper classes. I watched a documentary about it when I was a senior in high school. The paper classes were more around the football team, yeah. but no sanctions for
1: the university at all. Yeah, and then real, real quick, what he's talking about by paper classes is it's literally classes where you just they, a lot of times they don't even take attendance. It's just you take the class. You and don't then, even have a lecture hall. You and then just, yeah, and you just have. Mo- and the grade yeah. is entire is mostly or entirely based on one research paper and what. And, you know, they're usually graded pretty lightly. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed. A documentary I watched a couple years
0: ago, I don't remember the title of it in, entirely, but I'm sure you can look it up. Um, just type in North Carolina and and the kind of underground things that go around in college athletics. But they pretty much are always guaranteed an A and a B. And I think that documentary they talked about how people on the football team spoke at a fourth-grade reading level, which is just absolutely insane. And it just says something about the NCAA. And to talk about that, we invited in, David Ridpath, Associate Professor at Ohio University, for an interview. All right, we now welcome David Ridpath, Associate Professor of Sport Management at Ohio University and an expert of NCAA and intercollegiate athletic matters. Uh, Thanks for joining
2: us. Uh, Thanks for having me on, uh, Robbie. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no problem. Um, Today we're discussing the ruling brought down by the NCAA um, at the University of North Carolina declaring the program did not violate academic fraud rules. So, I guess, uh, the first question I have is, what was your initial reaction to the ruling when it came out on Friday?
2: Um, surprised but not shocked. Um, I can tell you that, um, the NCAA bylaws in past precedent actually does fit things like this, but certainly North Carolina fought back hard with, with lawyers and, um, Obviously, the fact that they said other students took the classes, even though it was very clear that the primary beneficiary was athletic eligibility, and also I firmly believe, uh, and I'm confident saying this, that this would not have happened for 20 years uh, under the nose of everyone, um, but for the benefit to athletic eligibility. And I think most people see this when North Carolina box the NCAA in on a technicality, if you will. But also the NCAA uh, doesn't get a whole lot of benefit by by punishing North Carolina the way they should be punished. So it was kind of a win-win for them. Very sad day for college athletics, kind of like the bribery scandal. This is something we knew that was going on on we knew that soft curriculums like this were being uh perpetuated by institutions but we uh, chose to look the other way and decide that uh you know hey this is really about education and about you know students at a university and it's not it's a big business and i think this past uh past week showed that
0: yeah absolutely and and we're, we have questions on the bribery thing a little later um but i mean the whole reasoning behind north carolina kind of getting off uh Uh, Free, if you will, was the fact that it's not just a student athletic issue, um, but it's also because other students were involved. Are you buying that kind of whole argument that um, since other students were involved, that it's not necessarily an athletic issue?
2: Well, I'm not, I'm not buying it because, um, clearly it was done for, uh, athletic eligibility. A public Ivy, a good school like North Carolina would not have done something like this and let it perpetuate for as long as it did if it didn't have this type of benefit for athletic eligibility. And I highly doubt most of those football, basketball players and other sports, uh, with all due respect. I doubt that that many actually wanted to be in that. The curriculum that they exploited. Now, uh, there have been cases, and actually cases that I've been involved in um, when I was at Marshall University, where you know the athletes had you know no idea that uh, what they were participating in was essentially cheating, they may have had an idea, but it was being perpetuated by the university, and there were academic fraud sanctions and extra sanctions handed down, and that's why, you know, I've made it very clear that this is not a an issue independent of that. Whether the institution is doing it or whether the student is doing it, there still was academic fraud here, but... I think the NCAA, you know, in the day and age we're in right now, um, with the money even being more important, does not have the stomach to truly punish institutions. Now, we'll see with Louisville, um, but, again, I, I just have such a fundamental issue of a school like Penn State being punished when there was no NCAA violations at all, despite the revolting circumstances and then here there were clear violations of what was the ncaa's core mission and i do believe precedent bylaw and interpretations to cover it and yet the ncaa comes back and says that we have no violations that's very contradictory um and and honestly i think and this is a longer conversation robbie and colin but i just think the ncaa needs to get out of the academic business once and for all
0: yeah absolutely and i mean just to kind of touch more base on that. I mean, how do you think North Carolina avoided um, any sanctions? Was it because of the NCAA and and them not being uh, very strict on programs like North Carolina, or was it the $18 million they spent on lawyers, or what do you think the main reason for that was?
2: Well, I think with all of the above, and then just the fact North Carolina really tried to stress, and I think as, as, as bad of a strategy as it sounds like, they tried to stress uh, that these classes were legitimate and classes that they're still counting towards uh, graduation, uh, and that the classes themselves were not fraudulent, and that athletes just got caught up in it like other students, it was a bad scheme, but it was nothing that was totally focused on athletics, and, you know, again, I don't think anybody on infractions truly, truly bought it. I mean, if you read their... If you read their statements, I think that was kind of a tortured way to say that you know they're not taking any action but uh but clearly it, it disturbed them, but there's also the competing factors of someone like Greg Sankey, who's chair of the committee on infractions, he likely has things like this going on in in his in his conference in fact, I could almost guarantee it, and you know. He has to be careful and play the dance of like, well, what happens if it's one of my schools now that's on the chopping block? And you know, many schools try to do very soft curricular type things for athletes to maintain eligibility. And, you know, he certainly doesn't want one of his schools, you know, to be given the death penalty or something very, very harsh. And so in many ways, this helps out, you know, the machine keeping going, but I think more than anything, it really stripped away the facade of what people try to say college athletics is about, and it's certainly not about education.
1: Yeah, you know, and you mentioned Sankey there, the uh, commissioner of the SEC, one of the biggest athletic conferences there is out there, uh, but but, uh, I'm different. Now, one of the things that I think a lot of people kind of forget is back in 2015, you know, NCAA sanctions aside, uh, North Carolina was put on probation by the uh, accreditation agency down there. Um, I guess, you know, two questions that are one is how much teeth does something like that have? And does the threat of, you know, the actual accreditation agency coming down, how is that, uh, how effective is that compared to, say, the NCAA?
2: Well, it's, not as public as the NCAA because college athletics gets all the all the news, right? We often say that college athletics is the front porch of an institution. And with that you know, then certainly the scrutiny uh, uh, and the heightened interest uh, happens also. I think with accreditation agencies, if they, approbation the is one thing, if an accreditation agency actually pulled out and said you're not accredited anymore, that could actually be damaging to a university. But, again, I highly doubt that the SAC uh, SACS, for Southern Association of, of Colleges and Universities um, would actually pull accreditation from North Carolina, although this probably would warrant it. Um, so, so, yes, probation to black eye, it's not a nice thing that you want to talk about, but it's nothing that's really damaging the university at all. Certainly, if... Um, if there was NCAA violations, uh, death penalty or various violations that might, you know, slow down North Carolina basketball for a couple of years, then you're looking at some financial, commercial, and other types of penalties and and sanctions and residual effects on, on other tools. And that's why, you know, this process that actually is supposed to enforce and and regulate tools, uh, the enforcement infractions process, you always have to be skeptical of because, you know, what happens if the North Carolina and Louisville are really punished? You know, what happens to the rest of the ACC? And all these other conferences, you know, when Louisville plays Kentucky and those types of things, those are ripple effects throughout college athletics, and then that damages the bottom line. You know, let's not forget, I mean, college football is run by the conferences and has been pretty much separate outside of the NCAA, at least at the Division One FBS level for a number of years. But how the NCAA, the rest of it, is funded is from Mark Madness, about Ninety-five percent of the funding for all NCAA operators, championships, enforcement, and everything else you see comes from that men's basketball tournament. So they certainly want to damage, you know, damage that jewel that that funds everything. You can see the uh, the conflicts of interest that are here, and I think so many things contributed to that. Uh, North Carolina essentially having those no sanctions on this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and this is, I mean, you talked about you kind of hinted towards it earlier with the bribery going on. I mean, this is just one of the. The few news stories that revolve around college basketball right now, I mean, with 10 people getting arrested for accepting bribes to sway players certain agents, I mean, what does that say about, I mean, the state of NCAA basketball right now?
2: Well, I just think we need to accept what it is, uh, uh, Robbie. And come on. I mean, come on. You know, let's not lie about this. I mean, do we want to continue to have a WWE, you know, wrestling type persona where we know what we're watching is fake, but it's still entertaining? Um, or do we want to just call it what it is? I mean, we can make it. Um, we can make an academic model. And the great group, which I know you're familiar with, and the, the group that I'm president of uh, my second time, you know, we have, we have some templates. We have some ideas ideas. Um, That would be a complete paradigm shift from what we're doing now. But we need to go either way. We need to either call it what it is or we need to actually have a very strong, strict academic model. I would love to see a strong and strict academic model because I do think other systems would manifest themselves. I think that would give athletes choices (laughs) and different opportunities. And I think either way we go, whether if we go completely professional and just call it what it is or actually bring it back, kind of put the toothpaste back in the tooth, so to speak, we're going to go watch the games regardless. And that's what I tell people. I mean, you know, that's why I, I buy anyone to tell me that they're not going to go see the games if athletes get paid. And and so, you know, we've created this black market um, of where these athletes are commodities. Education is certainly something that's not even talked about. Um, and a lot of people are getting rich off some very athletic talented kids. And I think these kids and families, certainly, they want their Piece of the action, and they're getting it, and we're kind of just looking the other way. In fact, when you look at what, uh, and you look at this bri, you know, bribery scandal, kind of focused on four or five people. Everyone, I say everyone, people like us, you know, who follow this, and Mm -hmm. people like me who worked in the business, we all knew this was going on. We just preferred not to talk about it. Now these things are out of the shadows, and we have to decide: do we want to fix it, or do we want to go the same way? My main mantra is: Let's just start at at what's very true. What we're doing right now is not working. And if we can all get to that point, then we can actually talk about ways to fix it. But I think the only unacceptable thing is is doing what we're doing now. And I still haven't heard a lot of good ideas from people who are in power. And eventually, I think external pressure is going to change things, whether that's legal, uh, legislatively, uh, athletes' rights movements, whatever it may be. Uh, I do think that. Uh, the model of college athletics that we've all known and loved in, in many ways is beginning to, to crumble much faster than people thought.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and you talk about the work you do with the Drake Group. Could you just kind of explain um maybe some of the models that that you you guys have been looking at and and what you think could the NCAA could steer towards instead of this kind of old-fashioned model that they keep running now.
2: Yeah. Sure, I would invite your listeners to go to www.theDrakeGroup all one word theDrakeGroup.org and our, our proposals are on the website. Um, we have basically said if we want to have an academic model, there's just a few a few things, and I'll highlight a couple that would that really make a lot of sense, and, and honestly, I think are very in line with what people think college athletics are. Number one is all scholarships are guaranteed and cannot be taken away for an athletics reason and they're guaranteed for a period of of five years. And then if if an athlete would leave earlier, that he or she would have an opportunity at a long time scholarship. Um, that athletes have the have the ability to transfer uh, at least one time, no questions asked. Um, nobody can prevent them from transferring because once we start preventing kids from transferring or picking and choosing where they can go, you're essentially treating them as an employee, and that's what's going to hurt the NCAA uh, in court. So certainly, giving them the opportunity to transfer really ratcheting back the time demands, and one big thing to do to do there. And I know that even some coaches agree with this. John Calipari of all people um, said he would he would consider this next proposal and that's actually getting rid of two semester sports. Um, so essentially having basketball just cover one semester. So instead of March Madness, maybe April Madness. Um, but having sports that cross over to two semesters can be really academically problematic. And also getting rid of the non-traditional seasons. I mean, you're there at Ball State and you, you know that volleyball has a non-traditional season. Field hockey does. You know, all these other sports do. Baseball and uh, spring football. Those things are really unneeded to be honest with you Um, it doesn't really do anything to make the team better more competitively but it does keep the athlete away from pursuing the academic major they want and also things outside of academic study abroad those types of things so it would definitely be restricting that and then an absolute restriction of 25 hours a week with very specific things on what Counts towards those twenty five hours with regards to athletic uh, athletic participation, and then the summers are completely off you know it 's up to the athlete that the athlete makes a choice you know that that, that the summer that the, that their summer's off so they can participate in those types of things and We know that just these few things i 've told you um, that some people won't, won't want to operate under those restrictions, and that's great. And that's when I think other systems for elite development will happen. And we can actually have then, you know, a better situation and higher education of actual college students playing college sports. Another thing under our model that we really stress is that we don't say that athletes should be paid um, a salary. But what we do say is that they have an absolute right to profit off their name, image, and likeness, Um, and also as part of their scholarship, that they should get the continued uh, as much as possible cost of attendance stipend. So we fall short of actual paying mainly because that's such a wedge issue Mm-hmm. I, hate to, I hate to make the comparison, but it's almost like, like abortion. It's just one of those issues you can't win on when you talk about it. And uh, so we want to stay away from the pay because that distracts from the other thing we're talking about. But we do think the athlete definitely deserves to have the same rights as all other students. Now, that's just kind of scratching the surface of the model. But those are some things that I think would go a long way to really destroying this underground black market. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, when we talk about this, this uh, you know, like you are saying the underground black market here, um, the conversation always seems to revolve around the power five schools, you know, the big-time schools like North Carolina, uh, like Ohio State, all the real big names. But when it comes to schools like Ball State, Ohio University, and the MAC, and other mid-majors, where do they all kind of fit in on this, you know? Because I know, uh, you know, every now and then you'll hear about a smaller school getting sanctioned, but uh, it kind of flies under the radar a lot of the time.
2: Well, the problem with, with schools like ours and I'm i I'm a mid major I have worked in the FCC and uh but certainly I've been primarily mid major level, whether it's in the Mountain West, the Big Sky, the old WAC conference, and certainly the conference I spent the most time in is our conference, the Mid American Conference. I I've coached in it in it too. Um the problem with the mid majors um, is again, number one, it's great competition. I always tell people that you, you, I don't feel like I'm losing anything by watching Ohio play ball, state, and football and those types of things or basketball. It really is great competition, not that far off. And, you know, in some sports, we, we are able to compete nationally. The problem with the mid-major schools is that they're still trying to play in a sandbox where they can't win, right? And we're, we're spending money at our level that we don't have or we're taxing our students, trying to keep up. You always hear about this competitive equity and, and, you know, we've got to keep up with the Joneses and those types of things. Well, I can tell you, you know, we're very close to Ohio State. There's no way there's nothing we can do. Somebody could donate a hundred million dollars tomorrow to our to our athletic department and we're still not close to Ohio State. And why are we playing in their same sandbox? So I would really like to see the mid majors evaluate where they are with the power five keel off, whatever it may be. But I don't see a whole lot of value in 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 being in the same division with schools that are, you know, one hundred million dollars or more more than you in budget and just that once every 200 football games there might be an upset or to make a guarantee money ostensibly to support other sports when at our level those, those sports that are supposedly making the money aren't even supporting themselves. We're completely funded by, almost completely funded by two fees. And I don't think it's right to go out and prostitute your team either just to get some guarantee money to try to help balance your budget. I think that's a terrible way, a terrible practice, and I think it's also unhealthy for the players. So that's my issue with me. Majors. I mean, uh, there are some mid-majors that certainly have, have cheated and have done things, and there's certainly soft curriculums and those things going on at the mid-major level. But it's all for the same reasons, trying to win and trying to keep up with people that we can't compete with. I mean, think about this. Why do we even play Division One football? We cannot, under any circumstances, ever participate in the playoffs. What's what's the point? Um, we could go into something else. I mean, you look, Western Michigan was undefeated. They weren't even considered. Uh, for the college football playoffs, right? So, why should we, why should we play a sport where we have zero, and I'm talking zero chance less than zero <laughs> to even play in the in the in the playoffs?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and to kind of backtrack and go back to the the whole issue um that we were talking about with North Carolina. I mean, since then, I think two dozen or so schools have launched their own internal investigations. I mean, would you be at all surprised if more teams got busted through their their own programs?
2: Well, there's simply no way that um – I mean, it's, it's so widespread with regards to how these players are prostituted and shopped around. And I think you both know that so many assistant coaches and head coaches have been so many other places. Mm-hmm. So the tentacles of this goes all around. But they've been other places, but still it's a pretty small club. Um, You know, a couple things that were under the radar is a lot of people don't realize that Alabama fired their director of basketball operations right after this happened. Um because they were, he was found to have involvement with uh, with some of these uh, uh, bribers and, and others, uh, this Adidas shoe guy, and apparently his involvement was pretty deep, deep enough to get fired. And here's the funny part. He used to be an NCAA investigator. Uh, I mean, you really can't make this stuff up. So – um, schools are nervous. They're looking at it. Obviously, it's better they find out what's going on before others do. You saw that uh, Patino's getting fired today officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, his two, two of his assistants have already been fired. Um, uh, this is so widespread, and so many people are involved in the shopping around of athletes, and in some cases, you know, families demand it. They're like, you know, you're not getting my son unless, you know, I get a piece of the action here. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to see a lot more.
1: Yeah, and honestly, uh, with with the way that uh, this thing kind of thing works too, I personally don't think that uh, anyone will get busted too hard because if they find something in an internal investigation, the NCAA rarely goes beyond the self-imposed sanctions they usually do, right?
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, you you, you typically will see something from the NCAA um, after self-imposed sanctions. But, you know, if a school does a good job, and if that's your question, if a school does a good job in in imposing sanctions on itself, it certainly will lessen what the NCAA does.
0: Absolutely. And then just kind of the last question I had here, um, and you've hinted at it before, but what does it say about amateurism and what the NCAA kind of originated on, being an amateur sport, getting people prepared for another level for football and basketball programs um, in general? And does that even exist anymore?
2: I mean, it really doesn't. I think that the argument is that amateurism probably has never really exist, existed by definition. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at it, it technically it would be like us three going out and playing playing a game of pickup basketball. That's really amateurism, right? Um Even giving a scholarship really violates the tenets of amateurism, right? Giving meal money, giving a uniform, all those things, because you're supposed to be just going out and competing and virtually getting nothing for it. And so the NCAA has used amateurism as kind of a – a shifting sand, if you will, to try to justify many many of the things that they're doing and and things that I support. Like if you look at what's been three, four years now, that athletes have been getting, or at least some athletes have been getting the stipend, the cost of attendance stipend. But now again, I I fully support that. I think the athletes should get more. The way that we're working, the athletes and using them for – institutional marketing and advancement, um, and also there are other scholarships at Ball State or Ohio University where, where kids do get a stipend, and certainly I had one when I had an ROTC scholarship years ago, so I think that that's a good thing, but I can remember athletic directors and presidents arguing against that, saying, you know, it's a slippery slope to professionalism, and, and the NCAA saying, well, that could that could actually qualify as payment. You know, now it doesn't, and so it's kind of like, you know, you, you, what, what line are we? crossing here and I think ultimately it comes down to as I told you earlier what will push us to not watch the games and I think the answer is very little it surely isn't going to be athletes getting paid or getting paid more um We just simply want to watch the games, and I I think we need to get rid of this facade of amateurism. We were one of the few countries that used it when the Olympic Games tried to abide by that ideal, uh, at least trying to, I should say. Nobody else was doing it, maybe other than Canada and a couple other countries. And, you know, the Olympics realized the futility of that. And allowed professional athletes officially, even though they had been in for a number of years. Um, the Miracle on Ice, why, why that was so big, is those Russian hockey players were essentially professional athletes. They were getting paid and um, all kinds of things, housing, and they weren't living in a in a trailer. And you know, Terre Haute, Indiana, like uh, Kurt Thomas, our gymnast, was you know back 20, 30 years ago. So I, you know, I always say that the Olympics are not less popular, people are watching, and in fact, maybe even more people are watching because we have the best athletes. And I think that, you know, college sports and amateurism, it's an ideal that sounds nice on paper, but it doesn't exist, and we should not continue to perpetuate that facade. Absolutely. Um,
0: I think that's all the questions we had, but uh, thank you for talking to us and sharing some of your insight on this issue. Yeah, thanks for your time.
2: Yeah, thank you very much, and call any time. I appreciate it. Awesome, thank you. Have a good one. Alrighty, you too. Bye bye.
0: All right, that was David Ridpath uh, over at Ohio University. He's always a fun interview and a fun person to talk to to gather his insight on things going around in the NCAA.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that he mentioned uh, is is that you know they they pretty much got off with with nothing there, and one of the reasons for that is that the paper classes were being taken by students who weren't athletes as well and that was one of the, the things that played into that and uh, you know that's a little ridiculous too because when you look at some of the, the reports on it like 47% of the students in those classes were student athletes and student athletes were only 4% of North Carolina student body in total and so it's it's one of those things where okay, yeah, there were other people in there, but at that kind of rate, kind of like Ridpath was saying, it it seems like it's mostly for the athletes at that point.
0: Yeah, and and it's crazy to say that it benefited other students, when really, at the end of the day, it didn't benefit anything. And one of the articles that I kind of ran across that was interesting to me was actually written by a UNC graduate, uh, Jason Owens, and he talked about how... It soiled his education, his degree, and he he loves sports. I mean, still works in sports, I me mean, to this day. But talked about how. It's just such a shame to bring that upon. I mean, you're talking about academics in the NCAA, which is a big question mark in itself. But academics in general, and that jeopardizes what people are paying thousands of dollars for to, what, write an essay every year? And I'm not saying I wouldn't be complaining if I was taking one of those classes. Oh, I'd sign up in a second. (laughs) Yeah, but, I mean, it's just one of those crazy things where... It's not shocking at all, to say the least, but it's it's disappointing that nothing came about because now with all these other teams launching their own, um, you kind of brought it up to me earlier at least, with two dozen plus other teams doing their own internal investigations yeah.
1: and that'll that, really... the, the, those other investigations also have to do with the the uh, Adidas shoe stuff that's been going on like Louisville actually today just like an hour or two before we started recording Rick Rick Pitino was officially fired down there
0: yeah so I mean the NCAA uh, NCAA basketball right now a lot of heat coming down in it and I don't see it stopping anytime soon we talked to Ridpath about it but With all these teams launching personal investigations, I don't see it stopping people. I don't see people stopping getting in trouble. But at the end of the day, how much trouble is it? Because people at North Carolina were celebrating because nothing happened, you know? And that's just kind of... Is that
1: really a win for you at the end? I mean, obviously it's a win, but yeah. is that
0: really a win at the end of the day?
1: You no, know, I know. And, uh, you know, one of the other things, too, down there, and this is a, more of an interesting thing, but when you look at at uh, the, some of the reports, there was this one report um, I, I don't want to. It was uh, the former U.S. Uh, director of Homeland Security ran it. It was, uh, what's his name? Oh. I want to. I don't want to say it wrong. It's uh, like, Weinstein or something. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce his name. But you know, they did the, uh, the big whole report on it. One of the things they found was actually the fraternities down there were really taking advantage yeah. of it too. Like, uh, to the same level the athletes were, because uh, I, I, you know, you're you're in a fraternity here. Do you guys have to keep up like house GPAs? Because they do. They did down in North Carolina.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, anytime you're looking at GPA, just like any program athletic program would want to keep their gpas up i mean obviously any organization wants to keep their gpas up yeah. and if they found a way to play the system and not trouble for yeah. it i mean you really can't fault anyone except yeah. for the academic
1: the whole ac- academia at north carolina yeah but but the reason i bring it up is because they, they told the investigators uh, this quote this quote's in the report um i'm, I'm going to paraphrase because i don't remember exactly what is t- off the top of my head but uh they were saying how they knew a few people who accidentally ended up with uh, uh, minors in African American studies because they had taken so many of the paper classes to keep their GPA GPA up they would just had enough credits for it which is absolutely
0: insane you get a minor in something, first off you probably don't know much more about and I mean, what did that minor consist of? You know, five or six essays throughout your time, you know it's, just, uh, it's, it's a rough day in the NCAA but something needs to be done I think at this point you got to stop calling the NCAA what you're trying to make it for student athletes and remember those NCAA commercials from a few years ago when they're like athletics comes first or academics comes first which is clearly not true. Yeah. Well, it said so not true. You just slipped up and said athletics comes exactly. first. Exactly. So, there you go, but moving right along, you had a debate that you wanted to kind of bring up with me a little
1: earlier. Yeah, well, it's because I know you're a Cubs fan. Yeah, Know your Cubs fan And uh, as of recording this They're down 2-0 to the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, I'm not a Dodgers fan per se But my mom grew up in East L.A. She loves uh, the Dodgers Actually when they won Game 2 And Justin Turner hit that walk-off She literally sent me a text That just says Que viva los Dodgers <sighs> Alright, what's the debate? Uh do we even have to have it now? I feel like I've sufficiently, you know, made you feel bad. No, yeah, we can still have it because I got an <laughs> yeah. argument here. All right. Well, anyway, so game one. Uh, this was a run that really didn't matter that much because already were, Dodgers were up what four. 2 Dodgers at the were up four two when this happened. Yeah. Uh, there's a play at the plate. And uh, initial calls, runners out, Wilson Contreras tags him, but on replay it shows that before Wilson Contreras catches the ball, the, the Cubs catcher there, he, he sticks out his left leg to block the plate, and the when the runner slides, he hits the leg, and they ruled him safe after the fact because of the rule that says, you know, the catcher can't block the plate without the ball. So... What's your take on this, Robbie? Let's start with you
0: here. All right, my take is, I know my name doesn't really mean much in the sports world, but I did play catcher for, I guess since I was six years old, six to probably 17, 18, and then I actually switched and started pitching a little bit, which was a really bizarre turnaround. But I played catcher for most of my life, and my niece thank me for that now, and I just think there's times where it's clear that someone's blocking the plate intentionally and entirely, but literally Contreras stuck his leg out. And first off, I'm going to go back because I'm going to get a little heated on this. I don't like the whole non-blocking the plate rule in general because that was my favorite. Uh, growing up, I loved big hits. I loved big defenses in football. So you were talking Ravens with Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, talking Bears, Brian Urlacher, Lance Briggs. have this argument with people all the time. But I loved big hits, and I also love big hits in baseball. You know, Michael Barrett for the Cubs way back in the day. Well, not way back, but back in my day when I was younger, watching them on TV and going out to Wrigley as a middle schooler, I love when people would run into people at the plate and the MLB has gotten really soft on some of these rules. And I think sports have in general. And I just don't, I don't think this should have been one of those that were overturned. I understand his leg was sticking out and if his entire body was in front of it, I would have been more for it. But it was one of those things where I understand where they're coming from because I understand the rules. and I've been watching baseball this whole year and in the past couple of years and the trend that's been going on, but I just, it left a bad taste in my mouth and you know, shout out to Joe Mann for going out there and arguing his case and, I don't blame it at all for getting ejected from the game.
1: Yeah, well, I think the ejection was actually automatic because you know he was he was uh, arguing a reviewed call. Yeah. Which I which I believe is automatic, but you know he's trying to prove a point. Yeah. Well, f- well, first first things first is that you know it, it, it is the right call with the current rules. It is the right call because the trade off for the catcher not getting blown up is that the runner has to have a path to the plate because you know because otherwise then the runner can just you know plow the catcher anyway and say oh well I didn't have a path. What else am I supposed to do? Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's why he was called safe. But, you know, to me, I, you know, honestly, that play at the plate looked a lot like, it was a lot like the play where Buster Posey broke his leg that really kind of sprung this rule. And that's, that was a play, uh, you know, uh, in, uh, back in 2011, uh, Buster Posey's season season ended when he was uh, in a collision at home plate with Scott Cousins of the then Florida Marlins, which it's hard to believe five years ago they were still the Florida Marlins and not the Miami yeah, Marlins, but crazy. that's a to another thing. Um, but, you know, he fractured his left angle, ankle and was out for the season, and you know, t- to me, when it comes to these kind of plays, like, I honestly at first when this rule first came around I was with you you know what I mean like I love that that play I, I you know seeing the catcher get blown up especially because they're you know they're, they're always ready for it it was just part of the game they're ready Absolutely for wearing it wearing the gear already yeah. sitting there yeah but in the five years you know since it's been outlawed I don't think the game's lost anything you know like there, there's like maybe once a year, if that, there's a play like this one where it's like, oh, well, he could have blown him up there, you know? But it, it's such a rare play to begin with that I, I don't think the game lost anything, like, now that we've had the time to see it, you know? It's one of those things that only comes up in very rare scenarios, you know? It's not like, you know, you know like as a Cubs fan, if you see Chris Bryant hit a home run, you're not like, as he's rounding second, you don't think, oh, yeah, that's cool, but like, what if he could have barreled the catcher over it on a double to the gap or something, you know? Like, it's just not a thing that comes up until it does. Yeah, no, I I agree with you there, but my point here being, and we'll be done with this conversation
0: and move into another segment in a second. But Charlie Culberson r- rounding the base, he was not gonna knock over Will, the Contreras. He wasn't gonna knock him over. He, I think Contreras had enough time to get there, get him in front. I mean, he could have knocked him down, but I don't think he knocks the ball loose either way. I think it's an out. Not that
1: it mattered in the game. Well, here here's the here's the thing on that though, is that it you can't. It's hard to say because it it's been illegal for five years. So yeah, maybe he you know five years ago, I don't think he's he live Five years ago, he just, or, you know, you know he just, whether he's successful not, to different point. You know, if it was successful, drawing su- to Barley, success, successful. But running full speed into a guy who's, like, standing still, you know, if you launch yourself at the right angle, you can knock him over. And, uh, you know, and honestly, to me, it's one of those things where it's like, would you rather have that one run – When you're already down by, or, you know, would you have that one run back when you're already down by two and potentially lose your catcher for the rest of the series or the rest of the playoffs if they manage to come back against the Dodgers, but, uh, or, you know, or would you rather have, give up that one run for the safety of your catcher? And, you know, I'd rather have the catcher. Moving on
0: going to talk about the crazy stat of the week, and you've got another stat to annoy me. So go right.
1: I, ahead. I do. We're, this is just the annoy Robbie show today, but uh, my stat's been 29 years, and uh, you know, baseball fans, uh, you know, might know what I'm talking about here. But uh, it's oct- funny when you ask me. You're like, "Hey, I'm doing 29 years," and I just kind of yeah. You just already knew what it was. Rolled my eyes, and walked you already away. knew what it was. But uh, October 15th, 2017, Justin Turner hits a walk-off home run for the Los Angeles Dodgers in a playoff game. Well, 29 9 years before that, October 15th, 1988 was Kirk Gibson's famous walk-off in the World Series. And I just, just one of those things where it's, you know, th- those are the only two uh, postseason walk off home runs the Dodgers have ever had, and just for them to happen on the same day, you know, I the only there's a small part of me that just wishes this happened next year and not this year, if only so it would be that even thirty, because the fact that twenty nine is a little yeah. annoying to me, uh, but not as annoying as the uh, as the two uh, zero lead the Dodgers have is to you, is it? Uh, no, yeah, I mean, but I mean to to compliment you on your
0: stat of the week. It did impress me. When I when I found out they were, it only happened twice in Dodgers history, that was impressive. And then later when I found out it, it happened on the exact same day, it was really bizarre. It's really one of those things where you really can't write a script around that. It's just one of those yeah. things in sports. But my crazy stat of the week, we're going to go from a little football talking about the longest punt since 1972 in NCAA football. So Marshall's punter kicked a 92-yard punt, literally started from one end zone and went all the way to the other end zone. It was absolutely insane. If you watched it, and obviously there's a bounce, but he was about four yards back in the end zone, booted all the way to the opposite end about 30 yard line and then it rolled and they downed it at the one. It was just one of those absolutely insane punts where you're just like, holy cow, how did that happen?
1: Yeah, honestly, the most impressive part of that to me is that they downed it at the one. Yeah, exactly. And it was close. If you watch the replay, it was close because the guy was
0: upset at first thinking he didn't down it, but he actually got his knee down and had his hand on the ball just in time to down it. Uh, But it was insane and another crazy stat to look at, the longest punt in NCAA football history. You want to guess how long it is?
1: Oh, oh, geez, this is this is gonna be a tough one. Um, well, that one was ninety-two, right? So it's gotta be more than ninety-two. I don't think it's as ridiculous as a ninety-nine yarder, because like, 'cause that'd just be too ridiculous. But would I, it be? Uh, Long- I think I think you're doing that to throw off my guess. I'm gonna guess ninety-six. Longest punt in FBS history: ninety-nine
0: yards. <laughs> By Nevada's Pat Brady against Loyola Marymount in 1950.
1: So whether that's accurate or not, we won't have video highlights to prove it. But that's the yeah. longest. Well, you know, it's funny that this, that, one. that uh, see the longest one that I can think of that I've seen on video is uh, it, the uh, I think it was uh, Randall Cunningham in the NFL that 91-yard punt because uh, he was a punter in college. This, this is just one that I've seen on YouTube. I'm not that old. That I've seen it live, but uh, you know, these honestly, these long punts, I, I kind of want to see one of these super long punts in person just because so many things have to go right for it to happen because you have to get the strong kickoff it's got to take a, a friendly bounce it's got to bounce in the first place I like can't you, fair you, catch you, it you yeah. got to you got to kick it over the guy's head on, and on top of that so I that's like the one thing I want to see live you know like like I know it's a really weird thing for that to be like my bucket list sports event to see live <laughs> There's but a lot of things that's that's on the list yeah that was crazy I saw that and I just couldn't resist I mean that kind
0: of defines the crazy stat of the week two good ones this week i think we really stepped that one up and kind of just coming across those a good week for crazy stats in sports but anyway we're going to move on uh, to the last couple segments in here we're going to talk about other ball state sports this weekend Uh, we're going to have field hockey is at home this weekend they will be taking on appalachian state on saturday and that will be it for the weekend for field hockey. They're yes. a seven-game losing streak, so definitely looking
1: to get a win here, uh, coming off the road. Yeah. it is worth mentioning though, like the seven-game losing streak. They've played some tough teams, you know. James James Madison was a ranked team. I don't know if they're still ranked up. This, you know, Michigan, Northwestern, uh, you know, at IU, and then uh, you know even Kent State. Kent State's like. Uh, one of those teams where, like, for the last decade, really, it, when you look at the max standings, it's like can't State 1 or 2 most of those years. Yeah, absolutely. So really tough games this uh, in the past couple of days or past
0: couple of weeks for field hockey. But women's volleyball is also going to be at home against Bowling Green and Miami. And women's volleyball still... <laughs> Being consistent in their play top, on top of the MAC West standings, one and one last weekend. I think they were a game up in the MAC West and preseason MAC West favorites. So holding up to their own and coming back home is an exciting time, definitely because they always play well at uh, in
1: Northern Arena. Yeah, they're seven and one at home this year, and uh, you know, and honestly, I, I just like watching volleyball regardless. You know, the men's teams and the women's team. It's it's such a fun sport and it's so fast paced that it's really it's just a lot of fun to watch especially when the team's doing well
0: yeah absolutely moving on to some tennis men's tennis is going to be at the intercollegiate tennis association regionals this weekend kind of just a warm-up fall event for them, and Women's Tennis was there last weekend, and they did alright. They got a couple singles wins, a couple doubles wins, but Women's Tennis is a team who's won the MAC West Tournament two years in a row. Yeah, MAC S- Tournament, yeah. MAC Tournament. Sorry about that. MAC Tournament overall. Don't want to down downplay it, but they won the MAC Tournament two years in a row, and just warming up a little bit here, and they're gonna be a dangerous team
1: come spring when tennis really gets rolling. Yeah, and when the when the team standings start counting, because right now they're just kind of the fall season is just uh, in- individuals mostly, but uh, you know w- watch out for them when team play starts. Absolutely. All right, moving right along, we're gonna go into crazy news of the week, and Colin, I think you had two here this week. I did have two, uh, just because I I don't know, you know what always happens too is I always see these like the day after we were. we're Record and I'm always like, oh, I wish I knew this yesterday. Uh, but uh, the first one that I saw, so you know, Dubai police. Uh, if if anyone's you know heard of this before, they've they've got Lamborghini police cars already. They've got some uh, self-driving robots. They've even got some like Android officers. But this new toy they've got, I should say tool, but it's a toy. It's a toy. It's a toy. Uh, it is one of those. It. it they have a flying motorbike. And, oh honestly this thing looks really dangerous just looking at it like I'm going to show you real quick Robbie while you're here I'll you know just just Google Google this thing uh, you know Dubai police flying motorcycle and it's you know it's it's got like the kind of body that a motorcycle does where you could just straddle it you got a couple controls there but then it's just four exposed blades that help them fly it's supposed to be able to reach uh, speeds of about uh, 40 miles an hour can travel for 25 minutes uh, and it can carry 600 pounds and also now I don't think they're actually going to ride it because according to the CNN article I'm reading it can also operate uh, autonomously and so it's probably going to be more like a drone that you can ride but uh, I would take that thing out for spin for sure. Oh yeah absolutely. For sure. It's it's a little hard for me to figure out though how they're going to use it like you know like a Lamborghini police car it's like okay you're going to use that for high speed chases Mm -hmm. you know or at the very least it's PR but this one I can't think of anything besides PR, because, like, you know... Footrunners, really... footrunners, well, they can catch up. What I was going like, like, well, to say, well, footrunners, they can catch up, but, like, then you have to, like, stop it or... and you can't get too close to the footrunner on that thing, or you're going to, like, slice chop, him up yeah, with the... chop an arm off, you know, <laughs> I think you'll stop him a little bit. That yeah, that would definitely... That, would, like, that got dark, man. We're... Moving on. Alright, moving on to a little bit of a lighter subject. Uh, well, I mean, unless, you know, you're a big fan of fajitas. But, uh... So, this is a headline, uh... I'm just going to read this headline. Texas county worker arrested for 1.2 million dollar fajitas theft. Woo-hoo. Yeah, this happened down in uh, Brownfield, Texas, it looks like. And this guy was uh what he would do is he would intercept county-funded food deliveries and then deliver them to his own customers. And <laughs> so he was it was basically he was basically stealing the fajitas and reselling them. And the and the funny thing is according to this uh reposted AP article that I'm reading right now. Um, he was caught because he had a medical appointment that day and the delivery driver showed up with 800 pounds of fajitas and official officials uh, at the juvenile department where he worked said they don't serve fajitas and so that's what raised the red flags was that he missed the delivery date. Oh man. Yeah. But um, honestly this is one of those stories that I was a little disappointed when I read it because... I really wanted this guy to have been, like, secretly eating $1.2 million worth of fajitas. That's a lot of fajitas in life, you know. Right? Or, like, he threw, a, th- or he threw a massive rager or something, but it's like, yeah. well,
0: free mean, fajitas for everyone. I
1: know, right? But then it's like, oh, he was just stealing them and reselling them. But still, $1.2 million worth of fajitas over nine years is just a ridiculous number. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that's going to kind of move into my crazy story of the week. Not that they're related, but... (laughs) So, I'm going to talk about... I saw this on Twitter, and I... This
1: this is the other border.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to go north a little bit uh, to our friends up in Canada. uh, Saskatoon, to be exact, where they had a giant pumpkin drop. It's the first ever... Operation Pumpkin Drop, and they dropped three pumpkins. First off, I love this lead. Listen to this. You could do worse for a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Where they were just dropping pumpkins from like yeah. 120 feet in the sky, and the first pumpkin weighed about 1,300 pounds, and they were dropping it onto cars, and just smashing cars with
1: giant pumpkins. So this was like an intentional thing. This wasn't like an accident? No, this was intentional.
0: Okay. This was, It was a fundraiser. They ended up raising $9,000 for a local pediatrics funds. So for shout-out, but
1: I had a couple questions after this. Well, real, real quick, I just want to say, do this, this, you pick this up off uh, CBC? is that I did pick it for? up off CBC. I was going to say, because that's a very Canadian lead. It is a very Canadian lead. You know, you, could, have, you could do worse for a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, like, I don't think, they don't have football, they don't have NFL up there. so. Well, they you know, no, but uh, Sask- Saskatoon, they've got the, uh, the I think it's the Rough Riders I think, up yeah, there. Yeah, it's the Rough Riders up there.
0: But anyway, so raise $9,000 for this fund, and what a genius idea. First off, okay, I'm going to bounce back a little bit. How do you get a 1,300-pound pumpkin?
1: How does that happen? That's a very good question. Like honestly, that might be worth the 1.2 million dollars the fajitas were.
0: Yeah, honestly. So I don't know. Crazy day. But they were dropping, and one of the pumpkins on the day I was looking around and actually had candy in it. So I'm not sure if it was an actual pumpkin or if it was just one that they just wanted to smash. And after it smashed on the ground, a bunch of children ran out and were grabbing
1: candy from this giant pumpkin that
0: Wait, so, landed so, on a
1: car. So they filled the pumpkin with candy like a piñata.
0: Yeah. No. It was a it was a pumpkin piñata. Now,
1: now pumpkins are hollow. So did they fill the entire? Like did they? Fill this 1,300-pound <laughs> pumpkin up to the brim. And, and listen, too, does this 1,300 pounds include the weight of the candy? I don't know if the... Thir- I don't think the
0: 1,300-pound one had the candy in it, but they had two oh. other pumpkins that
1: they dropped afterwards See, that's another that one. Could candy. you imagine if that was full full of candy? Like, that would have just, like, exploded everywhere. Yeah, that would have been way too much candy. And does the candy, like... It would destroy the candy Like, those got to be good wrappers, though, because otherwise it would, like, soak in the pumpkin taste. Yeah, soak in the pumpkin taste and, like... Yeah. just obliterate upon impact on a car. Yeah, no. See, if they did that here in America, they'd use a 1,300-pound pumpkin spice latte. <sighs> Ooh, burn! Well, actually, Never. you probably—you probably, you probably would get burned from that. Yeah, you
0: probably would. Never in my life, fun fact, have I had a pumpkin spice latte. I will not. If, if pumpkin yeah. spice was so good it would be around all year long. Why is it only around the fall? Because they trick people into thinking it's awesome. It's like it's like the cream. McRib. It's like the whoa, McRib. Whoa, whoa, Krispy Kreme, no, Krispy no. Kreme is good. Krispy uh, Kreme is great, but they do this once a year green donut and oh, yeah, it's the I, same thing. It's yeah, just a I, I, donut. I it's thought you were like, saying Krispy
1: Kreme in general. I was no, about I to get cris- real
0: offended. No, I love Krispy Kreme. They shut one down by my house, I was pissed. But anyway, moving <laughs> right along. It's gonna move us into our 60 second news roundup. We now welcome Allie Kirkman, managing editor of the Ball State Daily News.
1: And maybe the shortest person on staff. Actually, that's not true. Stephanie's way shorter than you.
3: Moving on. Here's the news. A federal judge in Hawaii blocked the Trump administration Tuesday from enforcing its travel ban just hours before it was set to take effect. Um, judge Derek Watson granted Hawaii's request to temporarily block the policy that will be implemented starting early Wednesday. I just butchered temporarily. that.
0: Temporarily. The judge
3: said the ban exceeds the scope of President Trump's authority. In local news, a third sexual assault in the 1100 block of West Riverside Avenue was reported this weekend, nearly a month after it occurred. 30 seconds. According to online crime logs, the sexual assault was reported on Monday. Today, specific addresses for the assaults have not been released by university police. A Muncie man was arrested by the Muncie Police Department early Sunday morning after stealing from Muncie liquors. Employees told police that multiple intoxicated people came into the store trying to distract employees while someone placed a bottle of vodka in their pants. Muncie police arrested Robert Vaughn and primarily... Tre- prelim- Preliminarily <laughs> charged him with battery with serious bodily mm. injury, interfering with reporting of a crime and theft. I am all over the place today. You know
0: what? Yeah, what's going on? I just like... Just one of those days.
3: I just went and blah, blah, blah my words. I think and it's because Mr. Leahy died. Yeah, that's G90, why.
1: R.I.P.
0: That's why
3: yeah. I'm like. And
1: uh, I just want to throw this out here real quick, though. Was, you said it was a Muncie man was arrested by Muncie police <laughs> for robbing Muncie liquors.
3: Yeah, it happened. It's a lot of Muncie. It's a whole lot of Muncie putting vodka in their pants. You
0: know? All right. Thank you, Ellie.
1: <laughs> Thanks for Thanks,
3: Robbie. <laughs>
0: All right, that was the 62nd news roundup and that's going to move us into our final thoughts. It's been kind of a longer episode
1: here. Yeah, but honestly, this is I've had fun.
0: No, it's been nice, you this know. Is, I think we've one. had a lot of good
1: content this week. But yeah. what you you had something you wanted to talk about in your final oh, thoughts? Oh, I do. So I I uh, you know, if I understand this is an audio platform but if anyone out there reads book, books I highly recommend Basketball and Other Things so jealous by Shea Serrano uh, he's one of my favorite writers writes for, writes for the actually he is my favorite writer he writes for The Ringer uh, you know it's just the site uh, Bill Simmons owns he writes a lot of really weird stuff uh, but and, and it, it shows in the book Like there's a chapter that's about uh, what if you replaced I think it was 1997 Carl Malone with an actual bear <laughs> <laughs> and and there's just so much there's so much ridiculousness in this book uh, like there he has this whole graph on who's the best like this whole chapter on who's the best dunker ever and it's obviously Vince, Vince Carter like yeah, there's no other no way argument. you can go there's no really way you can go and he, he you know he argues his point but then you know he re- recaps that that huge dunk contest he had and it's the whole thing is just hilarious and it's it's one of those two where because each chapter is basically answers a different question and you know, they're not all serious Like I said, you know, what if you replace Karl Malone the bear? Uh, you know, who's the greatest dunker ever uh, which version of Michael Jordan is the best Michael Jordan and uh, That's a Good one but, you know, it's a really entertaining book, and because of the setup, each chapter kind of answers its own question. There's a couple chapters that string together, but for the most part, you could sit down and read, like, a chapter a day and not really, you know, miss a whole lot. And honestly, when, when I, I usually speed through books, but I was laughing so hard, I had to put it down. I was like, yo, I need to do something else for a little bit, <laughs> and I'm going to save this next chapter for another day. Whereas usually when I read a book, I just power through it, especially when it's like... You know, like a novel or something where it's kind of like, okay, but I got to see what happens next. Yeah, she, exactly. This is so entertaining. It's like, yo, I, I need to take a break before I come back to this just so I can continue appreciating it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, that's going to move me into my final thoughts. Uh, I don't really want to explain it at all just because we've been talking about the Cubs in this episode a lot more than I thought we were going to. But Cubs are fine. Down 2 0. Cubs are fine. Dodgers are up 2 0. Dodgers are scary. Cubs are fine. And Mitch Trubisky is the quarterback of the future for the Bears. So they're going to make the playoffs. So, with that, that's going to... Bold predictions here. Yo, that's, yeah, that's... I'm not don't, sure if I actually believed in myself there. I just kind of said that, yeah, that's Yeah, uh, that's bold. Moving on. But anyway, thank you guys for joining us. If you stuck through this entire podcast, it was probably one of our longer ones, but had a lot of fun, like you said, so... Episode 8 in the books. The sure to, Ocho. The Ocho in the books. Be sure to tune in next week for some more exciting content. I'm Robbie General.
1: Colin Grills here. We hope you listen to us again.